Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Mark Sisson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Mark Sisson here coming to you live from the, well it's not live, it's recorded, what am I saying? From the Malibu Podcast Studios where it's another awesome day. Every day is awesome in Malibu, what can I tell you? I'm very excited today to be speaking with my guest. We actually spent some time together a couple months ago catching up. I was very aware of uh, his uh, success in business and had not quite been so aware of his success in the uh, health field. Um, so I'm thrilled to have him on today. It's Derek Flansreich. He is the CEO of uh, Greatest. He's the CEO and founder of Greatest, a uh, next-generation media startup working to make healthy living cool in an attempt to build a truly trusted healthy living brand. Greatest.com reaches more than 10 million unique visitors per month. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here live and or recorded, however you'll have me. <laughs> Well, you and I are live right now, but uh, you know we'll let that stand for itself. We're all alive, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So we caught up uh, at the Wild Ventures retreat that John Durant put on. Gosh, it's already three months ago. I can't believe that. Uh, and uh, spent some time together there, and you had shared with me uh, some of your own personal uh, background and health uh, health mission. Can you, uh, let's just maybe start out with that, I guess, and just, uh, how you got so involved in this health field. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think like many people in sort of health and wellness, you know, I started through the sort of struggles with it growing up. Uh, I grew up the biggest kid in my class. I actually hurt my hand pretty badly when I was eight, nine years old, cutting a pumpkin and ended up with my right arm, and I'm right-handed in a cast for three to four years. And so sort of the ages in which guys play sports and make friends, I did neither, and became a, uh, <laughs> you know, became a big kid. And then sort of to add insult to injury, I was living in California, beautiful California at the time, and my parents decided to move me to Miami, Florida. So not only was I that guy, but suddenly I was surrounded by all these sexy people with their shirts off. Uh, and so <laughs> where that's the only thing that seems like it's the only thing that matters. And so, you know, I was kind of tired of being kind of tired of being that guy and, and feeling sorry for myself, frankly, and started to try figure a thing or two out. And I just remember it being so terrifically difficult. And I'm a relatively, uh, you know, focused, effective, productive, uh, person in almost every other part of my life, but something about health and wellness uh, sort of, you know, really got in my way. And I started to feel like all these magazines I was opening and TV shows I was turning on and products I was purchasing or programs I was signing up for, that they were not on my side and, and made me feel worse about myself instead of better. And so I began to get really obsessed with reading scientific studies on PubMed, uh, which is, you know, I'm sure, yeah, you know, most people who are listening to this know, but sort of the national repository for peer reviewed academic journals and, and uh, started to sort of piece through a few things, sort of learn a few things, started to read things online that, you know, began to sort of resonate with me and make sense and started to bother all my friends with all the information I had learned. And How old are you when you, when you started doing this? Yeah, uh, maybe 14, 13, 14, something like that. Okay. You know, middle, kind of middle school and, and yep. moving into high school, my friends listened to me. And that was the biggest shock of all. You know, like I couldn't believe they were paying any attention to me. And it really dawned on me that there was a major 
lack of a brand that sort of spoke this new language. And, you know, I think I say a lot, we say a lot at Greatest that it's, it's increasingly no longer about sort of health and fitness is the point, but more about it just being a part of living this happier, better, longer life. And that it's not about the what, but it's more about the why. And so, you know, I found that that sort of message, a message that was really more about something coming from your friend who's a little further along than this sort of flawless, perfect expert or this perfect sort of, you know, model uh, was a really impactful and important, I thought, uh, you know, voice out there. And so anyway, eventually became pretty obsessed with, you know, who's going to build that brand. And in the meantime, found my way to a few places on the internet where I thought people were at, not only knew what they were talking about, but also were empowering people to improve and celebrating them when they succeeded. And, and like I told you in person, you know, Mark's Daily Apple, I mean, that was, you know, on the very short list of places that I found and, and was inspired by and, you know, impacted my life. Here was actually, you know, a you know, a message that was not just said right and accessible, but also, you know, factual and science backed. And, you know, it was, it was true. And so it's maybe today for some people who are listening to this, they will be surprised about how hard it's been for, to find that it's rare, frankly. So I think, you know, look, we try to do that at greatest and we're very focused sort of on millennials, but you know, a lot of that was inspired, you know, by what you're, what you've, what you were doing then and what you're still doing today. So I'm grateful to you for sort of paving, paving the way. And now I'd like to think, you know, we're all fighting the good fight. And well, you're certainly paying it forward with the, with the success of greatest. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's I'm try, trying. <laughs> no, no, no. It's amazing. And I know you've raised a lot of money, not, not a lot of money. You've, you've actually raised the, well, what Tim Ferriss might call the minimum effective dose of money. Uh, to, to take the next step is that would be, would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 articles I've read said you could have raised a lot more money based on the su- success of your company. Yeah, look, I think uh, I mean that's a very yeah you know it's a very nice thought. I think you know I've definitely actively tried not to raise too much. I think uh, that is a death and a danger when you're building a business that's mission and vision based. Uh, it could just get you into trouble. You know, it means other people are sort of expecting, have expectations. I'm in the, I've been lucky and I've been able to build a team of both investors, an internal team of senior leaders, and, you know, an audience of people who were all aligned and on the same page. There's, that there's a need that people are aching and looking for a brand that inspires them and empowers them and doesn't tell them what they should look like and how they should feel. And again, I think there's far too few people fighting the good fight. And so, you know, I'm just trying to do my, my part and I haven't figured it all out. You know, I think that's a part of this that is really important, right? Is that a lot of the people in the space do have it figured all that all out. And it, it makes it slightly inaccessible to the people who are trying to just get started. So, you know, I'm the first to admit that I'm imperfect and mess up all the time and continue to struggle with my weight, though I figured, you know, a thing or two out. And, and my hope is just that I can help other people figure a two, thing or two out, you know? No, I love that. Um, and it, you know, it's sort of uh, speaks to your I guess it's your motto that you want to give everyone a healthy-ish attitude. I love that. So it's yeah. Uh, explain what what's behind that. I mean, I, I think you've already explained part of it, but yeah, no. I mean, I think basically. So some people hear healthy-ish, and they think what we mean is you know, like you would say, well, that's healthy-ish, which is just sort of an excuse. I, you know, we think of it the other way, which is that. The truth about being healthy, at least from our perspective and from what I've learned personally and and seen, you know, from my friends and from this audience is that nobody is doing this perfectly all the time and that that's what's really healthy. What's really healthy is finding what's good for you, uh, which may not be the same thing that's good for everyone, uh, and then sticking to those things in, you know, one by one, you know, whether it's small changes or big changes – if the only thing that really matters is if you stick to it. And so this idea of healthy-ish is kind of like saying, you know, 
some people would say it's like the 80, 20, some people, you know, or 80% of the time you're, you know, sticking to your thing. And then 20% of the time you're less focused. I think it's just our way of saying what's really truly quote unquote healthy is not what people may think, which is never messing up and feeling guilty if you do. Right. But it's actually about being, you know, choosing right for you most of the time. Yeah. Right. As often as you can. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that a lot of the people that are featured on your, on your site, you know, they're not fitness models and they're not, you know, icons of, of, uh, low body fat. They're, you know, in, in many cases, they're just real people with, with real struggles who have accepted who they are yeah. and are proud of it and grateful for the work they've done on themselves, uh, and are, you know, happy to continue along that same sort of track. That's right. Yeah. And, and you'd love this. You know, half the people that we feature in our photo shoots work here. <laughs> you know, seriously. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they're not they're literally as you know far from models as you can imagine. They're, you know, our head of office operations or an engineer of ours or, you know, we've got one of our video producers <laughs> you know, in these photo shoots. And and look, they're just real people. And so, look, I think uh, we also have people who are super ripped and we all, you know, but. But it's sort of the idea is to sort of we're very careful around this like notion of body positive. Curious mm-hmm. to get your take, Mark. I mean, I think we feel like body positive is a, can be used sometimes a little bit as an excuse and sort of it's like, well, just be positive, whatever your body is. And I'm not sure I disagree with that, but I don't think that's like good enough. It's sort of like not Greatest, the name, right, is is supposed to be like an artist works in art, like a greatest works on improving, getting better. Mm-hmm. And so what we champion is what's, what's really success is all about is actually just working hard on something and actively trying to improve. And my belief is if you're actually actively trying to improve as opposed to, you know, trying to get to some impossible sort of, you know, place – of perfection that you'll end up adopting things that you actually stick to and end up healthier for it. But, you know, the body positive movement sometimes built into that is kind of like, don't care about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, we struggle with this, but it's a big part of the scene, right? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I'm, I'm ambivalent on that because on the one hand you could say, well, you know, there are some metrics that we might all want to aspire to, whether it's blood work, whether it's a body fat level, whether it's a BMI, uh, you know, and and those metrics, you know, we have to acknowledge they've been kind of defined by society right. more than by the medical community. Right. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you can, you, like you say, you can take it a little bit too too far the other direction. Say, well, you know, I'm happy. I'm a I'm a jolly fellow the way I am, and or you know, I'm a happy young lady, and I don't really want to get too caught up in. Uh, self-improvement other than maybe trying to make some good choices for myself once in a while, but I'll be grateful for what I have and grateful for who I am. And, you know, you may find, depending on who you are, that that, that you're burying your head in the sand and that there's some things maybe that, uh, you know, that, that you're overlooking that ought to be addressed. Yeah. But, but it also, you know, you said, well, it is, you know, as long as you try to do something and, and, and put the work in and, and then I, I hear that and I go, well, you know, my, I guess my goal is to try and make it as effortless. See, I just said try, by the way, but to make it as yeah. effortless <laughs> as, as possible for people and make it as intuitive uh, as possible for people. So that's why I, in my, the motto for the Primal Blueprint is basically live awesome. And and it's not about necessarily uh, the visuals and the metrics. It's about, you know, how do you feel? Yeah. Are you extracting the greatest amount of enjoy- enjoyment, pleasure, fulfillment, contentment out of every moment possible, which includes, by the way, the food you eat. It isn't right. like you have to sacrifice that. Right. Are you enjoying the food you eat? You know, are you feeling the energy that you need to feel? Are you um, enjoying hanging out with the people that you want to hang out with? Are you are you loving the job that you're doing at work? Or are you feeling at least, you know, fulfilled by it and content and feel like you're making a difference? You know, things like that that are more... Um, that, that depart from the, the, the biofeedback and the biometrics of the quantified self. Yeah. I mean, look, this is, this isn't, you know, I want to say that you've been ahead of, not ahead of the curve, but ahead of your time in terms of the sort of just the way, I think that's where the world is going because frankly, like it hasn't worked in the past. Like it, whatever we've been doing hasn't been working. 
And so this obsession with a number on a scale or, you know, what somebody on TV tells you to do or what somebody on the cover of the magazine looks like has obviously not netted out in like a positive way. Right. And so I think we're sort of all searching for, you know, and I felt, I feel this all the time. We're searching to sort of define it for ourselves. And, and that's, Sometimes we say, we talk about how the world is moving, especially millennials sort of are moving away from a world of self-help where you're sort of seeking external validation and seeking help externally uh, to a world of sort of self-help where you're really kind of looking more internally and finding what's right for you. And I think that's, I think it's going to work better. <laughs> you know, I think if it's a lifestyle and it's you actually working out because you enjoy it. You know, weight loss for like the sake of weight loss is is hard to stick with. But weight loss because of, you know, I want to be more confident. I want to be more happy. I feel better. I feel more energetic. You know, those are strong reasons. I want to keep up with my kids. You know, it's like a whole different thing. I want to feel better when I get out there. I want to, you know feel more engaged in the afternoon instead of falling asleep, you know, my desk, like all those things really do matter. And anyway, I think that shift in the conversation is a really, yeah, I think it's really crucial. So would you say that the, um, the average reader of greatest is a millennial? Definitely. Yeah. It's about 70, 75% in their twenties and thirties. Yeah. Are millennials more inclined in your estimation to be, to be using the apps to, sort of uh, dictate a new habit formation or to to measure some sort of biofeedback or are they, you know, is that, is that where this is headed? Is it still focused on the app versus word of mouth or, you know, help me here. I don't know. I mean, it, I'm yeah. try, trying to get a picture. Yeah, no, totally. I think so. Yeah. So I think high level uh, millennials. So we don't have any real stats yet is the, the honest answer on how, well millennials are doing. All we know so far, at least all I've seen in terms of the data, suggests that millennials today are no healthier or less healthy than generations in the past at this age. So, but that doesn't mean, it just means that we don't have a lot of information, right? And, you know, we'll find out in 10 years if that's still the same. I think that the, in general, though, millennials prioritize and think of health in a very different way. You know, we cite uh, this fact a lot. 73% of millennials would rather be healthy than wealthy. We cite it a lot because it's like a profound shift, right? There's no generation that would do that. I just read an article in NPR that was talking the, the article was titled The Millennial Obsession with Self-Care. And I was really upset about this title because, you know, all it was saying was that millennials care about taking care of themselves more than other generations. That's not an obsession. That's like a positive step forward. You know? Right, right. So, um, but so millennials definitely take this stuff seriously. Now, the, now, you asked, like, what are they doing about it? And I think – what we find from our, our audience, and I would say I was surprised by this, especially early on when we thought a lot of the solution was in the data tracking, um, we found that our audience doesn't care that much about that. And it sort of the data without context and in sort of a vacuum, you know, just compared to what, how they did the day before, doesn't really carry a lot. And so I actually think millennials have, as they've sort of, you know, because of the Internet, turned away from sort of civic and religious community, I think, frankly, that they have led to less community and less connection than ever before. And I actually think there's a big movement for millennials to think of health and wellness sort of as this new religion to sort of find a church, find their people, find their identity and their tribe. I know that sounds very like, uh, but like woo woo, but I mean it in that when you, when I see the things that are actually working for millennials, it's very rarely the apps and it's almost always like something where they go outside and they meet with other millennials and do crazy stuff early in the morning. Or they do, you know, like, you know, I'm thinking in particular movements like the November Project or Daybreaker. It's they're drawn to sort of these uh, 
you know, they're drawn to these kind of, I almost want to call them churches like mm-hmm. Zumba or soul cycle style. Mm-hmm. You're there not because of health and fitness. You're there for the people and the vibe and the atmosphere. And then you're telling people about that. And it's like a festival, like a wanderlust festival or something, you know, where you're, you're there not because of yoga, but yoga is a part of your life. And these are the people you want to be surrounded by. So I think if you were to ask me what sort of, what are millennials doing? I would say it's they're actually using health and wellness as like an excuse to meet other people and like build relationships like them. And then they keep coming back, right? Cause then they have friends who are doing it too. No, that's interesting. I, you know, I, because I wonder at times uh, with all of the uh, distraction of uh, the, the digital media and the, you know, every, you go in a room of, you know, 10 millennials and everyone's checking their, checking their cell phones for whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, and, and I kind of wonder, okay, when does this end and when does it start to reverse and go back the other direction where they're seeking yeah. some sort of a, you know, human connection? Uh, you know, my son recently joined a climbing gym and mm-hmm. now he, he loves to, it's not like, um, in the old days, you know, you, if you went to a regular gym and you work out, maybe you had one workout partner, maybe you didn't have any, but now he goes to a climbing gym with like four or five buddies you know, and it becomes a real social thing for them. Yeah, this is, and I think, uh, I think it's happening, right? And, and look, this is my take based on, uh, you know, we have 10, 15 million people every month who are telling us stuff, but, uh, you know, who knows, right? Uh, I think we're relatively spread out in the country. So I think we have, a, I think I have a pretty good sense. My take is that this is happening, that people are actually disappointed with the connection that they found uh, or the lack of connection they found through these different apps and social networks. I think there's a net positive because I actually think for people that feel very lost, uh, the Internet does uh, connect them to other people that are more like them, which is hard in like small towns or, you know, sometimes hard in large towns where you don't want to go out and stuff like that. And I just think that loneliness, I have this like sense that weight loss, I would think a lot about weight loss at greatest because first of all, I think not enough people think about it. I think a lot of people sort of are scamming others about it. But when we ask the people in our audience what the number one thing they want to do is, they still say lose weight. Really? Yeah. And that's the same thing as every other generation. And yeah, like you, I'm surprised. But the reasons are different. You know, like I was saying earlier, like the, the, the reason they want to lose weight is less because like society expects that of me given everything I've ever experienced and, you know, but it, it's much more tied to like how I want to feel, you know, and, and I think that loneliness and this sense that there's, you're kind of alone in your journey and where do you find support and accountability along the way? I think that's like a, big opportunity in this space. When we think about the future of greatest, you know, you heard, I think a little bit about it, but you know, we think a lot about how do we pair people up together? How do we connect small groups of like-minded people who want to do the same thing together? How can we actually use the, this big audience and the digital world, right? And this digital platform to actually kind of connect people better. Um, and so I, I don't know, I'm excited about that because I think When I think back to the true major changes I made in my life in terms of like health and wellness, and when I ask, when we ask our audience, the the time and time again, most of the big changes, true big changes have come with other people. Maybe it's been with a partner or a friend, maybe it's been with a group or a team. And, uh, I, you know, you lose that on the internet if you don't actively seek it. And so, yeah, I don't know. So to that end, like at Greatest, which is um, touted as one of the most successful, uh, probably the most successful health website right now, certainly the fastest growing. Um, and I say that in deference to other websites that I happen to know about, like uh, <laughs> Mark's Daily Apple. Uh, you guys are you guys are, are killing it. D- do you have like events in mind uh, that you're going to put on yourself or, you know, uh, meetups and things like that, that where you actually do get people together. Like you have obviously 10 million to 10 to 15 million uniques a month that you can potentially draw from. Is that something that you're uh, looking at or interested in? Have you done a lot of that, Mark? Have you, have you guys ever done that stuff? Yeah. And, 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 and I don't do it anymore. So, I'm just <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, we had, we had uh, 12 
PrimalCon events, three-day, you know, yeah, live, right. live experiences. Right. Uh, they were incredibly fun. Everyone who did one said, oh, my God, it's one of the best, you know, three days of my life. In fact, I was just at, you know, a PaleoFX in Austin. And there were these cliques of people walking around PaleoFX who had attended different uh, – uh, Primal cons three and seven and eight years ago, and they were still friends. Uh, so it was it was a very powerful experience, and it lost money, and it, and it robbed me of my energy. <laughs> it was so emotionally draining that I, you know, I learned my lesson. I said, I'm not an event guy. Yeah, but but you know, that's not to say that you're not. I'm just wondering if, with your discussion about uh, you know connection and getting people together, if that's ever been something that you'd. Uh, considered. Yeah, no, I mean, I know you're a heck of a host, Mark, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, 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 the model, the economic model of the, these events is uh, not great, you know? And so uh, that's clear. I mean, I don't really know anyone who's doing, making a lot of money off them. And I think if you basically break even and you enjoy doing them, then it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there, it's such a way to deepen the relationship. I mean, me, you know, you're, you're doing something right now with a lot of the paleo blueprint sort of products. And, you know, that, that allows people to touch, uh, kind of deepen their relationship that they have with you, the brand and kind of how they align their identity. And it's something we don't have. Like today, people just read our content and look, people, you know, I'm lucky. I think, you know, blessed that people resonate with what we're doing and resonate with our brand enough that they come back and they spend a lot of time and they tell us that they love us on Twitter and all that stuff and email us. But, you know, like how deep does that relationship go? No doubt if we held big sort of events and conventions that would deepen it. I think a lot about how can we scale it in a way that, and maybe this is just because we've raised funding, we think about some of these things slightly differently, but, you know, we, we definitely think about like, how can we not just build a conference or, or an event to attend, but how can we be the platform in which everybody who wants to be connected to other people who, uh, you know, to accomplish some kind of program or a goal, how can we be the platform that allows every single person to do that? (laughs) So, um, and so I don't know, we, we probably will do it at some point, you know, we work now more and more with these big brands and, and they always want ways to deepen their relationship. And so if we can do it in partnership with a cool brand, you know, it seems like a no brainer for us to be able to put it, put it on an event. But we've been, that's a very long way of saying, sorry, but it's a long way of saying that, no, we haven't done too much of it. And we're, we're, we've been careful about it, mostly because I don't think it's the best way to build like a, at scale, a deeper community, but I think no doubt it's like super fans, you know? Yeah. 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 No, no, they, they, those things don't scale well. Well, I can tell you that. So, yeah. you know, but they, um, you certainly get avid, uh, fans who will, at- who will attend and, and they're, you know, they're, they're forever grateful for the experience, but you're right. It doesn't have a long tail to it for sure. Yeah, there's value in that, of course, you know? Right, right. No, there is, there is, but, but, it, and you said, well, you know, if you break even and you have a good time, then it's still worth doing. And I, I would even argue with that because it's because yeah. there's that in allocation of resources within the company itself, and so um, resources and focus totally. Yeah. Anyway, so um, moving on from that, um, so tell me about your current. Like, are you, you consider yourself paleo, or what's your what's your current routine? Yeah. Um, Oh, good question. So I am not paleo today. I have been paleo. Uh, I love that. I'm not paleo today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was. Yeah, it's good. Well, I think one of the things I think that's, I think paleo is, is amazing, by the way. I think it's a, and it's a big, I, I want to think of it as like a gateway program. Paleo is one of the things I'm, I've been very interested in recently is the rise of these kind of shorter programs that are not tied, that are not pretending to be like lifelong diets, right? Um, I'm just fascinated by it. Uh, You know, I'm thinking of Whole30, but there's, you know, any number of them. And I'm fascinated because the point of those programs is not to do it for the rest of your life, but to actually come out of it 
with a few learnings that you can adopt and sort of build into, I think, your daily sort of regular routine. Uh, the average American diets three to four times a year. It's a crazy number of times. And obviously that means most of the time it doesn't work. And so one way to look at it is, okay, well, what's the diet that will work forever? The other way to look at it is every time that, that uh, you know, we have the motivation to commit to something, what if we were able to really come out of that having learned something that we can stick to as opposed to feeling like we didn't accomplish what we wanted to. And so Anyway, I say all that because I think paleo is one of the most uh, effective. I, I mean, I learned so much when I was, you know, committed fully to paleo in terms of what kept me full and what didn't, you know, what things to eat and what not to eat. How well, how easy it is to sometimes avoid carbs by telling people you're paleo, <laughs> you know, yeah. like how, how amazingly effective, like even just explaining it, having any excuse is really effective. Um, you know, and, and do I think it's the thing to stick with forever? I, I found for me in my life that there were certain, you know, trade-offs that weren't worth it to me. But when I think of eating healthy, I have to tell you the truth. It almost always goes back. Like when I go through periods where I'm really committed, it almost always goes back to roughly eating paleo. It's just, um, no, I get it. Look, I get it. And I think that's a great acknowledgement that, that by doing a whole life challenge or a whole 30 or, um, even a you know some bizarre cleanse, you, you're going to have some epiphanies. You're going to have some some as you say learnings there. There's going to be some uh, something that you're going to pick up on that that presumably you can uh, you can use in whatever from wherever you want to choose from that point on. Yeah, I mean not everything, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course, no, of course. I mean even if it's one or two, not all of them. No, but, yeah, but you learned something from. Yeah, but I was intrigued by you. You said something about uh, that there were some things. That, that you weren't willing to maybe give up on paleo? How did you phrase that? There were some things that weren't worth the, the trade-off? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the one I always, yeah, the one I always come back to is that, like, basically guacamole and chips makes me very happy. And so... And so yeah. Makes everybody happy. So, you know, and... and if, if, you know, if, if only for the short time, in most cases. Right, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> well, I just think... Um, like I enjoy it, you know, and I think, I think life is coming back to, you know, the point of everything. I think the point of any kind of program or commitment, you know, I like the reason why I like some of the shorter things is it's only if they truly acknowledge what they are and their limitations. And so, for example, I have very mixed feelings about juice cleanses because I think most of the time they promise things that are totally bullshit. Um, if somebody approaches a juice cleanse and says, look, I'm going to reset and I really love all this juice and I know what it is and I know that I'm just drinking sugar all day, you know, like, OK, fine. Like, I, I don't begrudge that. Um, you know, I, I don't really recommend it, obviously, but it's it's I think, you know, I just think that it's all about finding the things that are good for you. And so for me guac and chips is, you know, and look, I don't eat the whole thing of chips and I know what I'm doing, you know, but, but at the same time, it's kind of, I really enjoy it. And so I'm committed to that. Um, and it's okay. I know that in return, I'm giving up other things and, you know, it's a, it's fascinating as like a, a CEO and founder of a business, right? Somebody who owns business, you know, you, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's fascinating that some of these trade-offs are not just about, well, it'll be harder for me at least, you know, to, to keep a six pack or something like that. I, you know, a couple, a few years ago, I got six pack abs at six weeks and like wrote about it for the website. And my conclusion was if I can't have guac and chips, it's not worth it basically. <laughs> but like, that's not for everyone. Right. And everyone is different, but you know, what I find is that some of the trade-offs are actually, the ones that are hardest for me are the ones that are about focus and attention and energy, right? And because I run a business and my job is to build, you know, a, a, the, the, the business that will last and will make the difference I want to make without compromising our, our message and mission. And it is the demands that I am at my best. And so some of these things about some more unhealthy stuff that maybe I, you know, like, like you said, for a short period of time and then feel the effects, you know, when I reach for them, I know that the trade-off is actually more than just the cost 
of, you know, um, it's excess calories or, you know, it's going to lead to inflammation or something like that. But it's, it's actually that like, it's going to make me more hazy minded and it's going to be less effective for me to get my work done the next morning, mm-hmm. for example, or, or, or later that day. So I don't know if you feel that, uh, but it actually helps me sometimes make some of these decisions because I, you know, whenever I look at like a cinnamon bun, like a cinnamon bun, like I have never seen a cinnamon bun I didn't want. And so, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm a hundred percent there. <laughs> no, if I, if I had to say that there's one thing that I miss from having gone down this path, it is a, a, a gooey, sticky, uh, raisin filled cinnamon bun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and yeah, but, but you know, and I, and by the way, I can have a bite of one, yeah. Yeah. you know, or two or maybe, but you know, there's a point at which I know, I just know from, from the work I've done yeah. that at some, at some number of bites past two, um, the, you know, that, extra 30 seconds of gustatory pleasure is going to be uh, over, you know, kind of overtaken by a couple of hours of discomfort. And uh, because my brain knows that I just, you know, uh, I'm unwilling to, to go there most of the time. Yeah. I just remember, I remember after this, you know, six pack abs in six weeks, uh, I called it my ab experiment. Uh, I remember I went to Shake Shack, which I believe now is everywhere, but at the time was kind of only in New York. And uh, I had a shake and a burger and I was like so thrilled that I was having this. And then I felt so sick for, you know, <laughs> days. And your body just, you know, it's funny. Your body's like, I don't want that stuff. And um, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's fascinating. Sometimes I call it my uh, Starbucks pastry rule. And I'll caveat this by saying that I actually, I love Starbucks. Like I know it's not the best coffee, but I like appreciate the business and I think it's cool and innovative. And I like the Howard Schultz, the you know guy who kind of built it and the CEO, he, though he just stepped down, but I'm a kind of obsessed with the business. Um, but none of the pastries there are good. I just honestly, none of them are good, but I can always tell that I, something has been wrong or I've been eating poorly. If I walk into a Starbucks and I suddenly want the pastries, mm. like it changes, like I know they're not good, but like it changes your, you know, your brain sort of chemistry, at least for me. And like, you know, like you said, I have two bites of a cinnamon, cinnamon bun and yeah, man, like I want eight of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, look, sometimes I have those times where, you know, I have eight of them. Uh, I haven't done that in a while, but you know, it's like, I know what I'm doing and then, you know, it really affects you long-term. So it's fascinating. I think, I think a lot of this stuff too, about choice and how these things sort of add up over time and how, you know, for you, the effect of, you know, one sort of sticky bun, uh, because of how well you're doing the rest of the time, you know, like, that I think we don't haven't quite been able to share enough about that. And so I think there's going to be a lot more kind of research over time that paints the picture of how maybe it's tied to some of this, like, you know, gut, gut bacteria stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, there was a, when I first started uh, my blog, there was a post that somebody did on an, on another blog that got like 7 million shares. And it was basically what happens to your body when you drink Coca-Cola. Yeah, sure. And, you know, and it was like, and it was, I mean, like, okay, that's. Little tiny illustration. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, It was so obvious to me in retrospect, like that was going to be a big hit. And yet it was, but that sort of information was really clear. I mean, it's kind of the good news of bad news when you clean up your act, you know, when you start eating clean. Yeah. The good news is you start to lose some body fat. You start to get, you know, a little bit more. Uh, energy spread out throughout the day, yeah. you're, you, you know, clear thinking. The bad news is now when you do something that, you know, that uh, you maybe uh, ought not to, uh, like the, the eighth bite of a Cinnabon or something like that. I hate to pick on Cinnabon, but I'm only doing so because I love them and they're so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but then when you have that eighth bite, now you really notice the difference. And, you, and yeah. one of the messages is, oh, my God, is this what was going on with my body every time I did this in the old days? I, and the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I just was so, you know, immune to the ill effects of it yeah. because my body, which doesn't want to feel pain, uh, had had uh, set up all these defenses. Yeah, and it's hard because to navigate, and this is where I think, like the sort of the rubber meets the road. Obviously, I don't know what that phrase is. Tire, something like that. Like, is is that modern society, right? Is to engage and be social in like a relatively normal way. 
basically forces you to either make some kind of really true definitive statement that this is who you are and will always be, or it means that you have to or are going to end up participating in day after day of this, right? And so that part is really hard because I think we don't talk enough about sort of the social pressure, you know, whether it's just to drink beer or whatever, um, you know, or to, um, you know, have guacamole and chips every night and everyone wants tacos and on and on and on, you know, and, um, you know, let's go to brunch. And, you know, those things that people want to do to be social and engage are hard to do when you're trying to, it's tricky when you're navigating this and everything is sort of conspiring. I remember reading some words, everything is conspiring against you, but it's, it's just, you know, we're like, everything comes on a piece of toast, you know, <laughs> like everything. No, I mean, that was one of the, you know, when we're designing the, um, the menu for Primal Kitchen restaurants, the first thing we, we sort of set as our guideline is what's a place where everyone could go to eat regardless of their eating style. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're a pizza eater, if you're a vegan, if you're a vegetarian, if you're paleo primal, gluten free, what's one, one place that you could go to that you could at least order one or two things off the menu that you would recognize as awesome comfort food disguised as health food. Right. Yeah. But it's funny. I, I go to these lunches and like, I really genuinely, you know, maybe this sacrilege, but like, I love a good grilled chicken and vegetables. Like, I don't know. It's just so good to me. And especially when it's cooked right and vegetables are well seasoned or whatever, but it's like, I feel like guilty admitting that. Like I feel guilty ordering that when I go out to meals, especially almost because I run a business in which I don't want people to feel judged when they order, you know, like a sandwich or something. And so it's just funny to me that like what I genuinely want is this like grilled chicken and vegetables, but I end up ordering, you know, (laughs) something just Just to fit in. Yeah, just to fit in and and to like make sure everyone feels okay. And like, this is a, look, that's obviously my, like admit openly acknowledge that's my issue, not their issue. But um, it's it's fascinating. I think it's tough. I think navigating all that is really hard. Um, I'm curious. Do you think that the you know you've been doing this for a li- quite a little bit? And again, I think uh, I think you've been so ahead of the curve and such an inspiration, not just to me, but so many different people. Who uh, you know, it's not easy to keep doing this. You know, like consistency over time. Do you think that? the internet and the health and wellness sort of space as a whole, do you think that it's gotten more enlightened? Do you think we're moving in a, the right direction? Or, you know, do you feel sometimes like, you know, everything that's moving positively is met by, you know, some total bullshit scam? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because on the one hand, I think that the, you know, the internet's clearly made it possible for you uh, and for me to, do a lot of research and have access to information that we would not have had access to 20 years ago. So the amount of information that's available on the internet is almost infinite. The problem is sorting out the information that you, that, that fits your paradigm and your filters versus the information that you maybe uh, somebody wrote with, with equal amounts of enthusiasm, but took a completely opposite stance. Yeah. You know, there's no, and as I say so often, there's no right or wrong answer in health and fitness. They're just choices. Yeah. Um, and so it, on the one hand, it's, it's almost more difficult to, um, to maybe, uh, from, from a purely objective point of view, pick a way of eating because you're going to have a vegan saying, well, you know, here's the reasons that you want to be a vegan. You're going to have a vegetarian saying, oh, well, here's the reason you want to be low fat, low carb. I mean, everybody's got a pile of research substantiating all the medical reasons why you ought to be eating that. Yeah. And ultimately it's, it's wickedly confusing. Yeah. And so what I tell people is you sort of, that's so now, now go back to the, the social aspect of that and pick intuitively pick a way of eating that you think you'd like to try and go down that path and do the, you know, experiment and, and try it out. But um, I, you know, the more time I spend in this field, the more open I am to other styles of eating. And like you said, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, look, I'm going to be primal for the rest of my life. I know it works for me. Um, I know it's, it's, it's a broad uh, uh, spectrum of foods that are available. And, and I know intuitively what I can eat and what I can't eat. So I'm quite certain that I've got that nailed uh, for the rest of my life. I don't need to go eat a greasy pizza ever again. Um, and if I want, I can have an analog, you know, I can have a cauliflower pizza that sometimes tastes better than the original one. So, you know, there are a lot of these, 
opportunities there. But I don't know. I just think that the internet has, um, you know, the, the, the democratization of the internet has just, um, made it on the one hand, uh, you know, accessible to anyone who wants some form of information. On the other hand, more and more difficult to, to, to choose from, a position other than of of deep knowledge. I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it sounds like you're saying there's fake news. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think I think it's fascinating. I uh, I think in particular one of the challenges in this space. So you know, you have on uh, Mark Daily Apple. There's always like such an interesting sort of comments, right? It's a huge part of it. Um, with greatest, we turned off our comments really early on, and it seems so like I don't know, like I, it's like it's hard to justify except that everything we write is science backed and expert approved, and most of the comments we would get would be people uh, disagreeing who are wrong. <laughs> yeah, and the truth with a lot of the stuff is that yes, there are so many parts of health and wellness that are controversial, and yes, new research paints things we thought we knew in a new light. But there are gen, like general and overwhelming scientific consensus uh, around certain things, and people need to know that. And when people say things that are otherwise, it worries me, right? And so it's um, and navigating through all that while at the same time being entertaining enough that people are going to click on it is really tough. And that is something that we balance and struggle and I think do relatively well, but it's a real hard thing. You know, look, we, we have look, your, your, you know, Mark's Daily Apple is, is a big site and you've got a big audience. We're a big site and a big audience, you know, but we're not as big as so many other audiences. And the honest answer is like to get there, it would mean, I think sometimes sort of sap, you know, selling your soul yep. and it would mean really turning health into entertainment. And that's when you get into trouble. You know, when I turn on the TV and I hear people talking about health. No, everyone's evening news has a two-minute segment on some new health thing that I just roll my eyes and go, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, and the reason is because it's not sexy to say there's been a new study that just came out that says that out of the 12 people who were researched, that three or four of them did slightly better in or slightly healthier when dark chocolate was a part of their diet. But this is a purely correlational study. It's possible that the dark chocolate just is sort of has a health halo. And so all the other things they were doing was actually healthy. So really the takeaway is we're not sure. Like no one's going to watch that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so instead they say dark chocolate, everyone needs to eat dark chocolate all the time. Dark chocolate is amazing for you and is the secret to longevity. And you're like, wait a second. I read the study. That's not remotely what it says. Even the authors of the study are that would be the first to tell you that's not what they say. Right. But it's, you know, it's entertainment. And so, look, I. Oh, it's all about the headlines. Yeah, and it's hard because at the same. So, you know, I, I like rant against that. But at the same time, like, you know, when you're providing good information, you want people to be drawn to it. And to click on it and not sensationalize it, but you want them to pick your stuff over some terrible, scammy bullshit. And so that it's a really, you know, it's a tricky balance. And, and again, I, I'm not, we're not always perfect. We try our best. We always sort of figure like if, if worse comes to worst, uh, the key is not to overpromise, right? And to say something that you're not actually going to deliver on. But making it entertaining without, I don't know, it's hard. We, we struggle with it a lot, you know? Well, I mean, that's that's the nature of business. You've got to figure out, um, you know, what who your market is and what your product is. And um, the truth is how you how you monetize that, right? Speaking of which, what, what do you, what's, what's really next in the cards for greatest.com? Yeah, so we are, you know, today we are a media site. So we primarily monetize through partnerships with, you know, big time brands. We've got uh, Califia Farms right now on the site. Uh, we're doing some interesting work with the Beef Board, you know, just to use some examples that we were excited about. Um, and so that's that's how we monetize today. The future, though, coming back to what I was saying earlier, you know, we, th we think a lot about our voice as a website is 
and how we think sort of we stand out on the internet today is that we think of everything we're saying sounds like a friend who's a little further along. They haven't got it all figured out. And that voice is a much better, much more clever, much more authentic version of me, right? Who I was. Now we have all these amazing writers, <laughs> frankly, uh, who do a much better job than I ever did. But it was the same kid who was turning to his friends and they were actually paying some attention to him. And so what we hope to work on in the future is can we actually help pair you with a friend who's a little further along? Can we help pair you with a group of friends who you know will help provide that support and accountability? And so, look, that might not be next week, but that's we're trying to go deeper and we're trying to uh, bring that same sort of voice and differentiation. We're trying to make it more real for people. And as you said, make it easier, more accessible, um, you know, more effortless to actually commit to and stick to, you know, the goals that you want to, you want to get to. Well, listen, uh, listeners, if you haven't gone to greatest.com, you got to check it out. Uh, it's a great repository of objective health reporting. Uh, I, one of my favorite parts of it is this, there's always a list, five things here and three things there and 12 of these. And even when they don't have a number, it's some things you can do or kind of uh, it's, it's a nice device that they use. And uh, it's great information. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate all that, uh, the insights and uh, wish you continued success on this uh, mission here. Very grateful and uh, for you and, and grateful to have participated in this. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. All right, listeners, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you next time here at uh, Primal Blueprint Podcast. Signing off. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a Primal Health Coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.